from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, which can be found on page 152 in the New Testament. Listen for and hear God's word. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. And from Matthew 24. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep Awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that our enthusiasm may be like a yeah for who you're calling us to be in and for the world. Make us more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, there once was a commune of desert monks, and every night before their evening meal, they would share in a time of worship. The day would hold uh, chores and tasks and, in some instances, heavy labor. And, and as the night would come, before they would dine together, they would give thanks and return thanks to God each and every night. One of the brothers had a habit. After a long day of working in the field, he would come into the dark chapel. He would nestle into his pew, and he would begin to fall asleep. Without fail, each and every evening as worship came, he would come in from the fields, and he would sit in the pew, and he would fall asleep. Well, some of the other brothers became angered by his impious behavior, and they felt as if he deserved a punishment, something to make sure that he would stop falling asleep in the middle of the chapel service each and every night. And so they brought their complaints to the abbot, and they said, our brother here is disrespectful. He is impious. He needs to be disciplined. You need to give him more chores. You you need to take away uh, his evening meal if he falls asleep again in the chapel. You need to make him keep watch at midnight. You need to do something. And they pressed the abbot. And finally, the abbot said, I will do something. The next time he falls asleep, I will take action. Sure enough, the next day came after the labor was completed for that day the brother came in, he took his usual seat in the chapel, and he promptly fell asleep. The abbot, who was leading the service, quietly stood up from where he was sitting. He moved toward the sleeping brother. He nestled in next to him. He took his hands and, and placed them on his face, and he gently put him into his lap much to the other brother's chagrin. What a beautiful image of what God is like. What a beautiful image of how we imagine God as we think of the words from Matthew 11 when Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, carrying a great burden, and I will give you rest. I don't know about you, but, but I could use a little rest. I could use a little rest. We came out of the summer season. We hit the ground running. Full throttle we went. With schedules dense and compact, it was back to everything. Back to school, back to routines, back to sports, back to activities. For some, it was back to church back to Sunday school, back to carpool lines, back to long hours of homework, back to trying to find a job, 
back to sleeping in the cold outside under the bridge, back to trying to make ends meet, and back to the hard questions of meaning, the hard questions of purpose, the hard questions that come when we desperately long for God's shalom, for God's peace to be known in our life. This full court press we call life can leave us a bit out of breath. It can certainly leave us tired. Couple that with the intense political cycle, with social unrest, with violence and terrorism, with dehumanizing materialism and our culture's wanton moral depravity. And there is something, isn't there, quite compelling about this image of a God who, who slips into this sanctuary and takes up residence right next to you and gently puts God's hands on your face and, and nestles you into God's very self so that we may find a rest. There is something for tired people that is very compelling about that image. I was speaking with one of our members a few weeks ago who, who was just beaming and eager to talk about an anniversary overnight that he spent, just he and his wife. They have three children all under the age of seven. He said, we had the most incredible time this weekend and when I asked him what made the weekend so amazing, so great, uh, he said something I didn't expect. I thought maybe he'd say, we did something adventurous, we did something creative, we had an incredible date, or maybe we had a, a life-changing relationship, changing conversation. But that's not what he said. When I said what made it, what made it so great, he immediately smiled from ear to ear and said, my wife and I slept in till 8.30. Wouldn't it be great if we could all just metaphorically sleep in? Just close our eyes to the responsibilities or to what's happening in the world to sleep in so we don't have to face the family or the professional or the health or the school or the relational or the financial or the social challenges that wait for us on the other side of our eyelids. Many of us, I assume, are tired. We're physically tired. We are emotionally tired. We are spiritually tired. We just want to rest. In some ways, then, Advent feels for tired people as if it arrives at exactly the wrong time. For tired people, it brings exactly the wrong message. Watch and wait for God to show up. Watch and wait for the Christ child to return as the victorious Lord of all. Watch and wait for the Holy Spirit to lead us into God's will. Watch and wait. Stay awake. Keep watch. Keep your eyes open. For some of us, the message of Advent falls on our brow like a ton of bricks. We can barely keep our eyes open in these days. And now the Advent proclamation, like an annoying alarm, is going off and says, you know what time it is. Now is the moment. You know what time it is. Now is the moment for you to wake from your sleep 
For salvation is nearer to us than when we became believers. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. In both our texts from Romans and from Matthew, sleep is a metaphor for what it means to be completely unaware or ignorant to the coming of God, both in our time and in our place, as well as when God comes again at the end of human history to finally, once and for all, put the world to rights. That's the funny thing about sleep, metaphorically speaking, right? When you are tired of the darkness, when you're tired of the heaviness, when you're tired of all the, the challenges that, that, that you face, when you're, when you're tired of all the strife, you close your eyes and it does good for you, metaphorically speaking. When you sleep, you ignore it, you push it away, you become ignorant to it. Maybe you, you, you drown it out through addiction or through certain behaviors that that allow for you not to have to deal with those challenges. So we, we close our eyes and we sleep and we think, yeah, that's a good thing. We think of Shakespeare's Macbeth who said it this way, sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care, the death of each day's life, sore labor's bath, balm of hurt minds, great nature's second course, chief nourisher in life's feast. Sleep knows no care. Sleep knows no affliction. Sleep knows no pain. Close your eyes off to it, and you'll be okay. But when we do sleep in this metaphorical sense, we not only close our eyes to the darkness. That's true. We can, we can blind ourselves to the challenges. But when we keep our eyes closed, we can also miss the light that shines in the darkness. When we keep our eyes closed, we can miss this light who is called Jesus the Christ, who shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome him, shall not overcome that light. You see, the scandal of the Advent season, a season that will culminate with the incarnation of God in and as the person of Jesus Christ, is that a light shines even in the darkness. But the only way we're going to see it is if we keep our eyes open, which means we have to face the darkness, which means we have to face the challenges, believing and having the confidence that God is with us and for us, that God is present in the relentless schedule, that God is present in the carpool line, that God is present in the most intense political discourse, that God is present under the bridge, when God is, is present in social unrest, that God is present in the challenges we face personally and collectively. God has promised to shine. But the only way we see it, the only way we see it, is if we keep our eyes open, which means keeping our eyes open to the darkness, to the challenges, to the burdens that come. The question in this first Sunday of Advent is, will we stay awake and keep watch? Or will we sleep? Will we be ignorant to God's presence and salvific work in our lives? Or will we keep our eyes open and see where God is breaking in, even in hardship, even in fear, even in uncertainty, even in the places where all hope seems to have been lost. Will we stay awake? Let me close with this. 
Uh, this particular wakefulness, this, this staying awake that Advent calls us to, of which both Paul and Jesus equally spoke about, this wakefulness is most certainly not passive. It is not a passive attentiveness. Quite the opposite. This keeping watch is vigorous. Paul says it this way. He says, let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, nor in quarreling and jealousy. For some of you, I imagine that as you heard this list, you think that Paul's describing your Thanksgiving holiday. For others, these words illumine maybe something that we keep hidden from the world, or maybe they're obvious in our lives. Interestingly, as Paul continues on, this combination of words, let us live honorably. I didn't know this until I worked on this text this week. Let us live honorably literally translates from the Greek to let us walk in decency and in order. Now, if you're a lifelong Presbyterian, you love those words, right? I mean, our lifelong Presbyterians laugh the loudest, right? Our former Catholics are like, what does that mean, right? Presbyterians love to do things in decency and in order. We're structured people. We're organized people. But what Paul's talking about is not congregational meetings. He's not talking about committee meetings. He's not talking about the latest edition of Robert's Rules of Order. What he's talking about is a moral witness. A moral witness that the church must claim as it seeks to let Christ's light shine in them and through them. It's a moral witness that looks to Jesus Christ, who is coming, who has come and is yet to come, as the author and perfecter of our faith. He authored our faith in his life and in his death, and he perfected it in his resurrection. We have been saved by faith through grace, and we've been called to live now by faith through that same grace. This Jesus is our moral example, this Christ child that we await is the one whose light must shine in and through us. But the only way we're going to see that moral witness, the only way that we're going to live into that moral witness, is if we keep our eyes open. Because that witness is shining in the dark corners of your life and in the dark corners of the world. So friends, I implore you, stay awake. Face the challenge, face the darkness, because Christ's light is breaking in. Stay awake, live honorably, and be a moral witness to that light for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.